Church, would you agree with me this morning that our God is worthy of all praise and glory? Amen? Amen. He truly, truly is. Um, I found myself this morning just worshiping uh, and drawn to his greatness. Uh, just once again, um, his faithfulness and his greatness and his goodness uh, over our lives that I ought to be uh, lifting up my hands and giving him honor and glory and attention and just saying, Lord, um, I adore you, I worship you, I praise you. I think it's been a wonderful way to start our year. This series, we actually conclude today on this idea of worshiping God. Why do we do it? We do it very, very consistently. Uh, why, why are we doing this uh, on, on a weekly basis? And uh, uh, everyone in St. John's and in Alma and in Mount Pleasant, everyone online, this sense in which we just, we direct our attention uh, so that he receives all glory and honor. What a good way to start uh, the year. Uh, week number one, we looked at this idea of being a living sacrifice, sort of a 30,000 foot view of worship. Like basically it's more than music or a song or lifting up a hand or saying some words. Actually the entirety of our lives laid before God as an act of worship. And then last week we looked at this idea of what we just did over the last few minutes on all our campuses, uh, this idea of corporate worship. But I think probably we all realize that if worship was merely maybe a few minutes on a Sunday in a building, uh, I just don't think that's enough. I don't think that is sufficient at all. And I think so many of us would recognize today, actually, you know, what we just said, like God is great, like he is worthy of a response from us as his followers every day of our lives. Uh, in all kinds of moments, all kinds of occasions, where we simply personally worship God. And today I want to just pose that question to you. Do you personally worship God? Uh, and put, put church aside, put the, the idea of sort of the, the living sacrifice aside. Do you find moments in your life where you're just going to express your individual worship to God? And what does that look like? When I was a small kid, on a Sunday afternoon we'd often visit uh, grandparents. Uh, very, very often. And uh, both grandparents on the other side had five kids and five kids. And on the one side in particular, my, my grandparents, they had five girls. My grandfather would always say he was blessed among women. And, uh, um, and uh, we'd go over to their house, and it was funny. I don't ever remember the television being on. Uh, there was no sports on. There was no movie on, nothing like that. Uh, and five girls all got married and all had a bunch of kids and everyone was in this house together. And so there was a whole gang of us. And what it was always was someone was going to put on a big old pot of tea and there might be a bit of cake or something like that. And the kids go out the back, I go out the back and we're kicking the ball. Uh, and then all the grown-ups were inside and they were laughing and chatting and talking and all that stuff. Until the inevitable moment would come every Sunday without fail. And it was my grandfather, who's now long gone, uh, every Sunday would come this moment where he had, a, had enough of all the chat and the tea and the cake and he would jump on the piano or he'd grab his violin or he'd grab a guitar and he'd start in Ireland what we'd call a session. Bit of music. Now nothing to do with church. This wasn't church. This wasn't worship songs. This wasn't hymns or anything like that. It's just music. Just all kinds of songs. And uh, everyone would come around and everyone just knew this is now time for your sing-song. We're going to have a little bit of a session here, and uh, whether you like it or not. And so within minutes, everyone starts singing and laughing, and we're having a little bit of a party. 
And uh, it was amazing to me how many people, like an uncle would grab a guitar, someone would grab something, and apparently in Ireland, everybody's musical, whether they are or not. Um, so everyone, everyone would have a little something to share. Now, I have to introduce you to two words, and I think this might be a little cultural barrier here, uh, or I don't know if it's an Irish thing or maybe just our family thing, but we had this thing called your party piece. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, your party piece. And so inevitably what would happen is you'd have a few songs, everyone's singing and everyone's having a nice time until the vultures would come out and all of a sudden all eyes were locked on some poor soul and it was like, that's it, you're up. And they're like, what, what did I do? Like, it's time for your party piece. So they had to, they had to do some song themselves and we're all going to listen. And it was awful. I mean, just dreadful stuff. And every Sunday, you were sweating bricks like, oh, they better not pick me. I don't want to. And you had to have your party piece ready. And of course, inevitably, what happens is you'd know like, hey, we're doing this all the time. So everyone would get a few little songs in their back pocket, right? Because you've got to be ready. And so everyone had like three, four, five, six songs that if they were called upon, well, well, actually, I do know this little ditty I could maybe share with you today. And you'd be ready for your little moment where you'd share your party piece. And uh, it was great. Now, some of you are listening to that and you're like, oh, that just sounds just so charming and so lovely. I would love to go back there. And others of you sound like, that just sounds like it's a, a moment from hell. Like I would, never, I would never want to be called upon in particular. And for me, I've mentioned, even just last week, like I loved music. And so I loved it and I hated it because I loved the music and I liked playing and I liked singing and all the fun of that. But I hated if I was going to be called on to do my party piece. And so you'd be standing there until inevitably I'd get it on some Sunday. Alan, come on. And I'm just a little kid. Up you get. And I had my one or two little songs and I'd stand up there and the sweat would be dripping down my back and wobbly voice. And you'd get up there and you'd try your best. And then afterwards, all the aunties would kiss you all over and you'd be lipstick all over your face. And it was great. And it was terrible all at the same time. The reason why that memory comes to my mind, particularly as I address what we're going to look at, and that is personal worship today, is do you find it to be such an odd thing that God asks of you? I, I do. I find it to be such an odd thing. You think about it. The creator of the universe basically says to you individually, I want to hear your party piece. What a crazy thing for him to do. Like the God of the universe, the creator of everything, of all the things that he could ask of me or you, of all the things that he could call us to obedience towards, he says, stand up, and I want you to sing your song. Oh, come on. Are you serious? Yep. That's what I want you to do. The God of the universe really wants you to sing to him. It's kind of ludicrous when you put it like that. What a crazy thought. And I've actually thought about this for many years. God, why? Why do you want me to do that? Why do you want all of your followers to do that? That individually, personally, we would stand up and we would sing and we would worship you. Like, why song? Why, why a song, God? And, and, I th and I'll tell you why I think God calls us and moves us to sing to him individually and personally. Because I think it is an unbelievably vulnerable, heart-on-your-sleeve, exposed relational thing to do for another person. And I felt that at my relatives. You would stand up there, and it's like, do you know what I mean when you're like, man, I'm flapping in the wind here. 
Like, have you seen those like initial auditions of those TV shows where the talent comes in and these people think that they can sing, but they can't carry a note? And, it's, and they're out there and the judges are like laughing. Like, you're, you're flapping in the wind. You are unbelievably vulnerable and exposed in that moment. And God calls me to do that. Yeah, he does. How do you think I married my wife? I had two things going for me. An Irish accent, and I totally sang to her. And she is way out of my league, and I totally got her. It worked. But this idea of standing in front of another person and then opening your mouth to communicate, think about it, to communicate love and his adoption of us and this relationship that we have and the greatness of God and to then put your heart on your sleeve and sweat down your back and I don't really care who sees me doing this right now and wobbly voice, God, I'm coming before you and I'm singing what I believe to be true about you and what I believe to be about true about me in Jesus Christ. What a vulnerable, exposed, relational, heart on your sleeve thing to do. And God says, yes, that's what I want you to do. I call you to that on a regular basis, day in and day out in your life. God deliberately calls you to that kind of moment in your life. How many of you are doing that? Again and again in your life, God says, I want you to sing my praises. I invite you into a life of awe and adoration, a life of gratitude and connection with me and music and wonder. And when you do that, what happens is you become disarmed with God. It just happens. I don't know how. When you stand up, sweat down your back, wobbly voice, and you sing vulnerably exposed heart on your sleeve about this love, adoption, forgiveness, and awe and wonder of God. Somehow you become disarmed towards you and God. My defenses that I often carry around with me, and so do you, that brick wall sometimes that we just go around in life with, somehow it just becomes to crumble a little bit. And I'm able to become honest and authentic with God. It becomes harder to maintain distance with God when I find myself singing to him. It's harder to be passive or distant or aloof with God when we're singing about his devotion to us and his grace towards us. And when I have frequency in that, when you do that regularly in your life, here's what it will happen. It begins to prevent a kind of shyness between you and God. Have you ever had shyness between you and God? Oh, God, it's been a while. It's me. Remember me? Yep, haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, haven't, haven't picked this up in a while. Haven't been to church in a while. Ever, ever had those moments? And there's a shyness between you and God. It's just harder to do that. Because when you worship him, it is breeding within you a kind of familiarity that increases love and delight and actually makes you now bold in your approach to God. It's me again, God. I'm back again. I've come once again with my heart on my sleeve. God ceases to be an acquaintance and he ceases to be a stranger because of the vulnerable nature of love expressed through song frequently in your life that simply brings you closer to him. And I know it's crazy, and I know it's ludicrous. It really seems that way to me. Like the God of the universe calling me to do that on a regular basis, to sing to the creator of the universe. But you'll never believe 
what he does in return. This scripture, it's maybe one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, at least in my top 10. I just can't believe that God would do this. Zephaniah chapter 3 says this, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Are you joking me? So God, you've called me to worship you vulnerably, to expose my heart in relationship, to sing to you. And somehow that you're saying to me that your response to that is that the God of the universe then opens his mouth and sings over my life. Have you ever done that over a child? Have you ever sang a child to sleep in your arms? And this is where my imagination just goes wild. The God of the universe, he stands up to sing his party piece over you. I'm sorry that that's kind of gushy. I realize it is a little sentimental, but I don't know any other way to understand this except in the context of relationship. What does his voice even sound like? The sound of rushing waters over your life as the king of all singers sings over you and then says, join with me, the king of singers. And this sound begins to erupt towards your God and over your own heart and your life. Somehow, somehow, in the process of being worshipped, God begins to communicate himself to you. Somehow, in the process of being worshipped, God begins to communicate his presence to you. You simply begin to experience God. I remember years ago, I, I was a teenager, sitting at the piano. And the Bible was on the piano, and there was a verse there, and I'd never read it before, and I didn't understand it. This is what it said. Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I just didn't know quite what that meant, so I read it a few times. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Okay, so when the sun gets up, I, I should be praising God. And when the sun's going down, I should be praising God. So I think what the scripture is saying is that God should be praised all the time. All the time. And it was, it was just the oddest little thing. I was this teenager, and it was super late at night. Like, it might, it might have been 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And I was just playing the piano very quietly. I'm sure the house was fast asleep. And I was like, oh, we ought to be praising him constantly. And I thought, well, who's praising him now? I thought, there's nobody that I know that's going to be worshiping him right now. Everyone's asleep. And I thought, well, then maybe I should worship him right now. Maybe God is calling me to add my voice so that there's never a moment, there's never an occasion where there's this lack of glory that is going to God. So I have to bring my voice to bear. Even at one o'clock in the morning, I'm going to sing his praises right now. So here's the question for today. Do you worship God by yourself? And some of you are like, yeah, I do this all the time. And some of you, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, I've never really thought about that. I come on a Sunday and I worship God for sure. But I want to I really encourage you and nudge you today that there is a song that is to come from you that has nothing to do with Sunday morning at all. And praise God for Sunday morning, that's great. I'm not talking about a life that represents a sacrificial living. I'm not talking about this Sunday morning get-together. I'm talking about just you. Just you. Just your voice. In your car. In your home. In your dorm, at your work, buying your groceries, brushing your teeth, in the most normal places in your life, do you worship God? 
<laughs> this week we're at the dinner table and we had music going on in the background and I think it was Elton John and <laughs> my son was eating his dinner and he, you know, the kids can be intolerant of each other and, uh, and you know, they're at each other or whatever and it was Elton John, it was a good song and I just, I started singing, like genuinely singing, like eyes closed, like ugly singing and I was like, whatever the line was and my son, he's just eating, he just looks up at me and he just goes, shh. And then you realize that I, he, it wasn't one of his siblings. It was his father that he had just hushed. And, and, he, and I, was, I was like, wow, I just got like, told off by my son. And he literally went, shh, like this. Like, everything's fine. Like, I didn't just do that to my dad because he's going to kill me right now. If you have a small picture of God, your worship of him is destined to be small and unengaging. If you have a great big picture of God, your worship of him is destined to become deeper and richer. Somebody once said these words, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Worship will rise or fall with our concept of God. God is good, amen? God is great. To, to use an American word that is quite overused, but it works here. God is awesome. <laughs> He is awesome. Psalm 71, verse 23 says this, My lips will shout for joy when I sing to you, I whom you have redeemed. My lips will shout for joy. My lips will shout for joy. I'm the one that you have redeemed. You have this ability to put something on your lips. You have this ability to put words on your lips. It's a choice that you have. You get to choose the words that you will say coming out of your lips, out of your mouth. Now, I want you to combine that with your concept of God, His greatness and His goodness and His awesomeness. And we bring these two things together. The discipline of putting words in my lips and my understanding mentally, cognitively of who this God is. And we begin to enter into the discipline of personal worship. Your worship should engage your mind. It should. It should engage your intellect. Your worship should engage your emotions because God gave you emotions. There are times I feel deeply moved. I'm like full of joy. There are times I want to, I'm not a very emotional guy, but in God's presence, sometimes I get, I get emotional and I'm okay with that. I think it should affect your physical body. I think there are times where we respond physically in the presence of God. Sometimes I enter his presence with joy. Sometimes I feel low and, and I just enter his presence and I go, I go God, is this where, these are my emotions. This is where I'm at. And I'm, I'm coming into your presence. I'm coming to give you honor and glory. There's a lighthearted phrase. If you're new to church, you've never heard this before in your life. Um, it's been going around for years in church where people are, they call themselves the chosen frozen. You ever heard of this phrase? Uh, oh, I'm a part of the chosen frozen. In other words, it's time to worship God. I worship you, Jesus. And that's okay if you need to be there. But there's a whole lot of language in Scripture that calls us to bow down before Him and to get on our faces and to eat carpet. 
There's a whole lot of language that talks about bowing these knees. There's a whole lot of language that talks about lifting up these hands and opening up my mouth and shouting and singing. There's just a whole lot of language in there that calls us to, to function like that. I, I tell you, I know of occasions in my life, and it is absolutely spiritual warfare, where I come to church and, and I'm just not, something's churning inside of me and I'm struggling and, and, and I'm worshiping and I'm like, yeah, I'm here, I'm here. And I'm, yeah, that sounds great. And, and, and something inside of me just goes, Alan, lift up your hands. And I'm like, no, I, I don't want to. I, I'm not going to do that. And, and I'm not joking. I've experienced this multiple times in my life where I go, okay, get over yourself. And I go, okay, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to glorify you. And literally in the action of lifting up my hands, I'm telling you right now, something breaks in the spirit realm and I enter into his uh, presence and I engage with God in a, in a different place. There are times that I want to worship and I can't help it. And maybe you've experienced this too. You're just like, man, I, I, can't, I just got to speak my worship to God. I want to sing his praises because, man, I, I just, I'm experiencing peace and joy right now. And God is good and everything's great. But sometimes, can we be honest? I don't feel like worshiping at all. Sometimes, sometimes we sing because if we sing, well, then I might actually feel like it. And so I make myself sing because I need to sing. I'm going to discipline myself in my personal worship. I'm going to sing till my heart starts changing. I'm going to sing until... I'm going to sing until this transformation starts to take place. And in that process, I might just then find myself shouting for joy. Because I know that if I won't sing, and if I don't sing, then I'm going to actually slip further and further, perhaps into despair or discouragement or hopelessness. Listen to these words. The proof that we're rightly related to God is that we do our best, whether we feel inspired or not. Let me just read that one more time. The proof that we are rightly related to God is that we do our best whether we feel inspired or not. My natural bent is to make everything about me. I think probably the same is true for you too. You know, our problems are the problems. Our pain is the only pain. One of the reasons that we sing is because it reminds us that it's not all about us. One of the reasons that we sing is because it reminds us that God is actually up to something in our lives or in our communities or in this world, and it's not actually all about us only all the time, but that we actually get to be a part of that. We sing because we need to put great words on our lips. This week, obedience to God's word that has been preached to your hearts right now is I'm going to call you to put great words on your lips. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, put great words on your lips. Decide, I'm going to enter into a personal discipline of worship. I'm deciding to put incredible words on my lips about my God. And we need to do that. And I'll tell you why. It's because we're surrounded by cynicism and negativity and despair and people with no compass. And when you decide to worship God, to worship Him personally, to worship Him, particularly in the middle of normal life, what you're doing is in that moment, you're just exposing yourself to, to truth. Things that will always be true. And then it shapes you. It shapes you in that moment. 
And all, instead of negativity and, and cynicism and, uh, and cant and all, all of that that, we ex, that we're surrounded by all of the time, all of a sudden you've aligned yourself with that which is right and godly and noble and true. And all of a sudden it begins to shape you and it begins to shape how you think about God and how you treat people and how you speak and function. It even begins to shape the kinds of things that come out of your mouth. Your job this week is to put great words on your lips. Look at this little verse in Psalm 43. It's a conversation between two people. And as I read it to you, I want you to determine who is this conversation between. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's a conversation between two people. Who is it between? I think it's between me and me. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This dude is talking to himself, isn't he? He's talking to his own soul. Ever done that? Ever had a little natter with yourself? Ever had a hard day, a tough week, and you've had the, 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 the clear-mindedness to, in some moment, stop and say, what is wrong with me? <laughs> you ever done that? What on earth? Why am I getting so bothered by that little thing? You ever stopped and just say those kinds of things to yourself? What is wrong with me? Why am I getting so ticked off about that? I mean, that doesn't, my reaction is here for this thing that's way down here. Why am I doing that? Why, you ever stop and just say, why am I so sad right now? Why am I so low? What, what is up with me? I think that's what's going on in the scripture. Hey, soul, you in there? I, I want to have a conversation with you. Hey, soul, what's up? What's going on? What's wrong? Why, why are you so down? Why are you so disturbed? And this is the moment where you get to put great words on your lips. And the funny thing about it is, that's the moment when you don't want to put great words on your lips. That's the moment where you just want to go, now I just feel rotten. That's the moment where you get to enter into the discipline of worship. Hey, soul, I have some advice for you. Are you listening to me? Listen to me. Hey, me, listen to me. I'm talking to me. I have some medicine for you, and I'm going to make me take this medicine. Put great words on your lips right now. Look at what it says. Put your hope in God. That's the advice. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. This is somebody causing themselves to move towards the discipline of personal worship. My Savior and my God. I wonder, I wonder if the occasion where worship is most important is sometimes when your soul is actually downcast. When you've argued with your spouse. When you're worried about your children. When you feel the stress and strain of money and bills and work. When you can't figure things out. When you want to revert to what you always revert to. You want to just get angry. You want to withdraw from everything and everyone. Moments where you want to just run towards escapism. Television, food, pornography. I'm going to have a drink. I'm just going to forget about things for, for one evening. Just leave me alone. Or I'm just going to start cleaning the house because I want to control my environment. Or I'm just going to lose myself in my phone for the night. I asked my wife if it was okay for me to share this. And as usual, she always says, if it's going to give glory to God, please do. 
But before we had our kiddos, we lost some of our kiddos. And Kelly was several months pregnant, and she'd miscarry another child. And I'll never, ever forget, we were living in Ireland at the time, we were driving back from the hospital in Castlebar in County Mayo. And what we thought was just a checkup wasn't a checkup. It was just sad news because there was no heartbeat. And we're driving back in the car and we're in a bit of shock and Kelly's in the passenger seat and I looked over at her and she's just crying. She's just crying. And I'm really not terribly emotional in general, but Kelly was so broken and the baby was gone and she had yet to experience the miscarriage had yet to had yet to take place and that's just horrible and I just looked over at her and I just filled up with tears and I couldn't see and I pulled over the car on the side of the road and it's, su it's such a sad story and it's not really a happily ever after story it's a, it's a real story and later that evening Kelly went to bed and she fell asleep and I got up I couldn't sleep and I'm going to tell you right now, the last thing I wanted to do was to, was to worship God. It was the last thing I wanted to do. The last thing I wanted to do was to sing or to make music or to stand up and give my party piece. But I did. I'm telling you right now, it didn't sound very nice. And I was barely able to open up my mouth but all I can tell you is that in the middle of what just felt horrible and in the middle of what, for me, particularly as a husband, of what I wanted to fix but I couldn't fix, I just experienced him. I just experienced his presence. And it was like God was singing over me and my wife. God singing over me. And my wife. And logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense to be in the middle of that and then to do that. Emotionally, man, it went against the grain. That's the last thing I wanted to do. You feel angry or upset or depressed or hurt or envious or worried or stressed. It's the last thing you want to do is open up your heart to God. There's a an incredible little book written in the 1950s by C.S. Lewis. And it's a collection of letters, fictional letters, called the Screwtape Letters. And it's such an odd book. It's a fictional book about a demon writing to another demon. And one of the demons is like the veteran, experienced demon who knows what he's talking about. And the other demon's name is Wormwood. And this demon is a novice. He's like an apprentice in training. He doesn't quite know how to think about what they do to steal, kill, and destroy. And they often refer to the enemy. So two enemies, excuse me, two demons talking about the enemy. Who's the enemy? God is the enemy. The church is the enemy. We're the enemy. They're demons, so we're the enemy. God is the enemy. They hate the enemy. And the veteran demon writes this letter to Wormwood, the young apprentice. This is what he says. Don't be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause, so their cause is one to kill and steal and destroy, is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring, 
but still intending to do the enemy's will, God's will, looks around upon a universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks, why have I been forsaken? And still obeys. It's the craziest thing that God has called you to do. It's deeply personal. It's just between you and God. It's not a church thing. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's just you and him. Look at the obedience in the passage that we've looked at today. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why am I so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Hey, soul, I need to talk to you today. So I am going to have a few words with you. And I know, I know, I know that you don't want to do this. I promise you, I know it's me. I'm talking to me. Things feel mundane or gray or difficult or low. You're feeling lost. You feel inadequate. Well, I have some advice for you, soul. I want you to listen up. Perk up your ears, soul. Put your hope in God. Listen to me, soul. Put great words on your lips. I will make me lift up my hands, and I will do it again and again. I will make my mind and my emotions and my body respond to his greatness and his goodness. I'm going to sing until my heart starts changing. I'm going to worship because I need every word that's going to come out of my mouth. And I know that you don't want to. I know you're not in the mood for this right now. I know despite everything that you're going through, here's what you're going to know. He has not changed, and he is glorious. And he has no rival. And there's no one to compare to him. And he is king. And he is Lord. And he is God. And he is what I need in this moment when I feel like I want nothing from anybody. And I'm ticked with the world. Actually, this is my destination. This is where I need to go. The solution is found in him. And I know it's crazy. And I know it's ludicrous. And i got to stand up with sweat down my back. And i got to bring him my heart exposed on my sleeve. Vulnerable me with my wobbly voice. Bring it to him whatever I can. But in his greatness, I'm going to pour out my heart. To him. What does obedience look like to God's word today, church? Really simple. I call you to worship. I call you to worship. I'm going to sing until my heart starts changing. I'm going to sing because I need every word. I would ask you to be personally obedient to the worship of your God every day this week, every single day. And I recognize, look, life isn't a musical, right? I'm not calling you to Mary Poppins or the Van Trops or Singing in the Rain. It's not what this is, where you kind of break out into song and choreographed dance. But this week, there are times and places where you should actually sing. You should. I would aim for the car or the shower. They're safe places. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Or you'll get a shh. Da, 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 da. <laughs> there are times and places where you can't sing. But I bet you there's times and places you can find this week where you might speak. You might actually speak. The door is closed in your office. You sit down and you go, God, in this moment, I glorify you and I praise you. There are times and places where maybe you can't sing and maybe you cannot speak, but you can still worship in your heart of hearts and quietly in the middle of a classroom in the middle of your living room with kids, in the middle of a factory floor, in the middle of a traffic jam, in the middle of whatever it is, something inside of you is just going to go, God, internally, I, I glorify you right now. I give you honor and praise. Church, 
our heavenly father loves you with extravagant abandonment. Passionate, undignified worship is the only reasonable response. Church, can we stand and let's worship the king.